You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. To the partnership that we have and the things that it leads to is amazing, and I appreciate that. No, absolutely. And like I mentioned earlier, we appreciate you guys. It makes it easy on our end, um, having partners that are just so easy to get in touch with. Talking about the show specifically, like obviously we really care about the quality of the product we work with, but we also care about the individuals behind the product in that we focus more on, say, partnerships versus sponsorships. We want companies that we enjoy working with. So if I have product questions or if I have anything or feedback, I can call you. I know I can reach out to you guys. You guys are very accessible. You're very down to earth. And I think that makes a big difference with regards to the customer experience makes it easy for us to authentically and, and you know truly speak about you guys and say we truly enjoy working with you guys anytime i have questions about products or features or anything like that i can reach out to you guys and you're very knowledgeable and thank you for saying that yeah i know i know we don't get a lot of opportunities to tell each other how we how much we appreciate each other so this is great little little bro minutes moment right now yep <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Range Podcast. I'm Ricky Bruley, and with me is Jake Hollywood Iverson. Join us at the Archery Range, where we'll tell stories from the hunt, discuss technical bow shooting tactics and gear, and pick the brains of some of the most successful people to ever shoot a bow. Whether you're about to shoot that X for the win or send an arrow at a trophy buck, this podcast is for you. Range Podcast is brought to you by Vapor Trail Archery, makers of the best bowstrings money can buy, originators of limb-driven arrow rest technology, and innovators of stokerized stabilizer systems. Welcome to the range, everybody. I'm Ricky Bruley, your host, and thank you for joining us today. You can also find the video version of this episode on our Vapor Trail YouTube channel, so please head on over there and subscribe. Very excited to chat with our guest today, Joe Appel co-host of The Edge on Wild TV, uh, right alongside our previous guest, Steve Eklund. Joe grew up in a small logging town in British Columbia, hunting, fishing, and foraging to put food on the table. After a professional athletic career, one thing led to another, and here we are having a chat about that journey. Well, hey, Joe, how's it going, man? How you been? Ricky, I have been busy to say the least but uh, that's kind of status quo for this time of year mm -hmm. how about yourself man how you been we haven't caught up in a while yeah it's been wild um we're, we're over the hump of the busy season now and still just kind of trying to get get our bearings back and uh, our previous um uh, general manager he found a new job actually bought a business um johnny you know johnny and, uh, oh, yeah. and so we haven't had him. So we've been kind of trying to fill those shoes between, you know, five of us here in the building. And, um, and so just again, trying to, now that the smoke is cleared, just trying to get reorganized and, and, uh, and recoup. So that's where we're at with that. Those are some big shoes to fill. I'm sure you guys got a lot of work going on. Yeah. At least it's, you know, happening in the peak busiest time of year for you guys when everything's crazy to begin with. You know, honestly, there really isn't a good time for that sort of thing to happen, but yeah, it <laughs> <laughs> at least he well he moved on i think it, it was just before the busy season hit us uh but again it wasn't mm -hmm. wasn't really he bought a business so it wasn't really a, a, a choice for him you know what i mean when it happened is when it happened so that's kind of how it went down but um wish the best for him he's he's doing awesome over there and i still communicate with him quite a bit so uh but yeah so for our listeners that uh that maybe don't know you i know i know you've got a pretty good following 
but for the for the listeners that don't know you, uh, just give us a little introduction on you know kind of what's the origin story of what got you into mm-hmm. hunting and and kind of where you are now. That's a big question. How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what got me into hunting. Well, I grew up here, uh, coastal uh, British Columbia, up here in Canada, small little logging town, um, and growing up. Um, like we were just your typical Logantown family. We hunted to put food on the table, hunt fish, mushroom, do all of that stuff um, from a very young age. But then kind of what got me more into what I'm doing nowadays is is uh, throughout my life, I had a professional athletic career um, and got into a few different careers after I retired from football. But my passion, my real love has always been the outdoors and and hunting and, and I was fortunate enough I had a job opportunity open up with Wild TV uh, the station the network that that our show is on and um, through my relationships there a kind of an uh, opening came up with uh, the show The Edge uh, to host a show with Steve Eklund and it just so happened that Steve and I got along pretty well and I guess we're going into year five now I've been running around the hills and having fun and uh with a cameraman and getting to share my stories with everybody. So yeah, it's been a fun journey. That's kind of a very, very, you know, 10,000 foot overview, but that's a little bit about what got me to where I am today. Okay, cool, cool. That's awesome. And so your family, man, um, you know, you got, I love watching the stuff that you're doing with your boy. I, I believe, uh, he was born almost the same time my daughter was They're They're pretty close. My daughter's just a little over three and, uh, mm-hmm. But I just recently saw, you know, that you were, you guys were out on a hunt, a family hunt, and your wife had some success and you had your boy with you. So that was really cool. Um, tell us a little bit about being a dad. Like how, how's that been? And, 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 uh, you know, every, all the good things about being a dad. It's been great from start. I've got a very patient wife. The <laughs> one thing that is a challenge is, you know, um, just balancing the commitment between the outdoors and your family life. Yeah, It's a lot easier when it's just you and your partner. And now all of a sudden you mix a kid into it. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when I'm out on some of these longer trips, uh, in September, I was home for three days, a total of three days in September. And you definitely do start feeling a little bit of that guilt. You know, you should be at home mm-hmm. being around your kids, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, no, being able to raise my son and, and start getting him interested in the outdoors, as we go along, I mean, obviously, so uh, Junior's not quite two, so he's still a youngster, but he's big. He's he's a big boy. Um, but I mean, we've had him out on spring bear hunts. We've had him out on blacktail hunts. As you mentioned just the other week, we had him out on a mule deer hunt for my wife, and we got her a mule deer. Uh, but just trying to introduce him to the outdoors and make sure he loves it. It's it's a lot of fun. It keeps life exciting, and it, it uh, you know, it kind of. It lets you be a kid again in a little bit of a way when mm-hmm. you get to be out there and see that that first time excitement in his eyes and i mean again he's only two so he still doesn't really fully grasp what's going on out there mm-hmm. um so over the years as i get to take him through all of that it's going to be a lot more fun yeah it's fantastic i love that perspective too about how it kind of brings you back to when you were a boy and all that and just the the good times you know you think about that my my daughter is she just she absolutely loves the outdoors she's not much for the cold though. So, uh, she's just starting to figure out for some reason, you know, she's a bit of a feral child. So she really loves to run around naked. <laughs> and the other day she just bolted out. I opened the door and she bolted out the front door completely naked. And she was like, Oh my gosh, it's cold oh, out here and ran back in. 
<laughs> but and of course i was like no oh, get back in here you can put some clothes on but uh yeah it's just it's just awesome i've taken her turkey hunting too and she had a blast you know just sitting in the in the blind she kept telling me to be quiet because my chair was creaking and all that so it was, it, was, it was pretty fun to see the enjoyment that she gets all out of that and and like i said it's it's really cool to see the experiences that you're having with your boys so I appreciate that. I think it sounds like uh, our, our children are very similar in the fact that they like to be feral and run around naked. I don't know if you saw it. I threw up that one little picture the other day. My son, I turned around and my son is fully naked, crouched down like Tarzan, drinking out of our dog dish or the dog's water bowl. While my while my dog, I've got an 80 pound Italian Mastiff. She's eating out of her food dish and he's drinking out of the water bowl right next to her. And I, I was like, okay, may, maybe we're raising him a little too feral, but uh, as long as he's wild, I'll take that over video games and all of that any day. Right. For sure. For sure. It makes me think of the jungle book, Mowgli running around. Um, <laughs> so you've had a pretty good season so far. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, cause I'm going based off your social media and I, you know, I follow along and I pay attention, but we have so many pages that I got to pay attention to, but it looks like you've gotten a caribou, you got a stone sheep, uh, an elk. And then of course your wife, uh, she had, no, that was a mule deer that she shot. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but what I really want to talk about is I want to go back to, I think it was in February when you went, uh, odd ad hunting with uh with aaron snyder with your bow yeah that was february i think it was i'm trying to remember exact dates but uh mid-february roughly yeah okay. down in texas so yeah not to minimize the other animals that you've taken so far this year uh, but this is an archery podcast so i want to focus on an archery kill so tell us a little bit yeah. about that hunt and how it all went down we'll be right back Hey everybody, Ricky Bruley here, Vapor Trail. We're really excited about some new features that we've just added to the Gen Integrate X Limb Driver Arrow Ref. previous model that we had had the micro adjust knob that stuck out and so it made it difficult to remove these one piece low pro quiver from Matthews. We've eliminated that knob and now it's an allen key that you would use to make that adjustment. We thinned up the area here where the activation cord is as well. We really squeezed it in about a quarter of an inch. It's a little bit lower profile so now you don't have any issues with the low profile quiver comes off nice and easy. You also have, of course, the added feature of the integrated mounting system, so you can mount the arrow rest right to the rail on the riser of the bow. Additional features include new markings that differentiate your locking screws from your windage and elevation screws. All VaporTrail arrow rests have a free-floating head, providing more forgiveness and greater downrange accuracy. No need for a bow press, simply tie the activation cord to the limb and say goodbye to interference with cam timing caused by cable-driven arrow rests. The new and improved GI-8X is available and ready to ship. Trust the originators of limb-driven technology and head over to our website at VaporTrailArchery.com or stop into your local archery pro shop to get yours today. You know, it was it was a lot of fun um, going down there. Um, first thing you learn right away when you set foot in, uh, I think it was Riverton, Texas, it is windy as can be because it is flat. And, uh, you know, when you're archery hunting that like those extreme winds, I mean, like crazy, like I'm six, eight, 280 pounds and I'm leaning into the wind when yep. we're moving around. <laughs> and, uh, 
So that, that right out of the gates makes it a very challenging, fun hunt. And then one thing I really enjoyed about it is the, the landscape there is you kind of have these flat, um, I guess almost like farmer's field type country with these mesquite bushes and like really sparse. So they're, they're spread out really open areas and then they drop off deep into these steep canyons along the Paladero Canyon there. Um, so you go from like this flat kind of, I mean, the best thing for us up here in Canada, it's, it's like kind of sagebrush country, but the mesquite's like a giant sagebrush. You go from that kind of stuff right into these steep canyons. Um, so you're hunting in that kind of terrain. And then these odd that they're an introduced species, but I mean, they, they stay herded up year round. Um, so when you're going after a ram, you're not just going in kind of tiptoeing and sque squeaking through this country after just the one ram. They've got like 30 to 40 ewes with them at mm -hmm. all times if you're going after the big ram. So it's a, it's a fun hunt. It's a challenging hunt. Um, when I went down, Aaron definitely asked me a few times. He's like, you sure you don't want to bring your rifle on this one? Because <laughs> if you want to get a good ram, it's going to be a little bit of a challenge. Mm -hmm. um, but all in all, I mean, going down there, I wouldn't have done it any other way. It's, yeah. it's a lot of fun. You get you get a lot of stalking opportunities. Um, you get in close. And then just with that many eyeballs, you know, you get pinned behind the one mesquite shrub you can get to. And, mm -hmm. you know, every time you go to move, there's a you staring at you or something's happening. So uh yeah no an absolute fun hunt and for us we closed it right on the last kind of like last hour of the hunt we were able to connect mm. that's really cool I, I i love those hunts too because I, i've had a few <laughs> that you know where you almost don't want to you don't want to fill your tag too early because now the adventure's done right and so those are always great stories when you you know when it happens on the on the last day i've got um, two of my biggest whitetails uh, happened on the last day of a, of a specific hunt. And again, just being able to have the story and everything that leads up to that moment is, is great. So did you, did you guys stay with, maybe you said this already and I missed it. Were you with an outfitter then, uh, or like staying with an outfitter or how did that, how did that process work? Uh, yeah. So Aaron's, um, actually teamed up with uh, top of top O Texas outfitters okay. down there. And they have two different camps that they hunt odd at out of. Um, I believe they do some other species hunts down there as well, but we focused just on odd that when I was with them. Okay. Um, and we kind of stayed at, at their one camp, they have a full lodge and an area stay, but where we were, we just grabbed an Airbnb. Um, kind of like a little hotel type, I guess mm -hmm. more of a motel in a small town and sure. stayed there and just went out and hunted um, a few of the select areas along the ridge that, that Aaron had been down and scouted out for us a little bit. Okay. Okay. And yeah. when, when you say we, that was you and, and the camera guy or last light media, is that who was with you? Yeah, Greg, Greg was with us, our cameraman. So it was Greg and I were down there with Aaron. Um, so it was just the three of us running around the hills most of the time. And, it, it's fun. I mentioned, you know, it's, it's really open and you have a lot of eyeballs on you and it's, it's a challenging hunt. It's a fun archery hunt, but now all of a sudden you got three big dudes because Aaron's not a small guy either. So you have three big dudes trying to creep around in the brush. And, uh, there was a lot of times where we were kind of chuckling cause you know, your army crawling from one mesquite brush to the, to the other. And it's like, it looks like one of those old cartoons where this giant's running around and then they tuck behind this small brush, somehow disappear. Yeah. And they jump back up and go to the next bush. Yeah. Because I was like, man, we, we are three of the biggest dudes running around out here trying to be sneaky. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. And and 
congrats on that. And also uh, hats off to you for taking the challenge of using a bow. Really appreciate that. It's really cool to see that you had your bow with you. Um, you know, that always helps us. And as I had mentioned in the intro, you, uh, you and both you and Steve trust our products, both the, the limb driver arrow rest and our Stoker eye stabilizers. So we appreciate that. Uh, and happy to see you having success. Oh man, I wouldn't have it any other way. We've loved your guys gear, used it for a long time. And, uh, one of the biggest things is, you know, we go on these trips and, and we put in so much time and preparation and, and, you know, uh, put so much resources into making all these trips happen. And we want to make sure that when we get there, regardless of what we put our equipment through, that our gear is going to perform. Mm -hmm. And uh, you guys have been lights out. It's one of those things where we never have to question the performance of our gear when we get down to those moments. And, mm -hmm. and that's, that's why we love you guys, man. So we just appreciate the support from your end. Um, and uh, yeah, anytime, anytime we get to hunt, I, I know Steve and I are the same, like archery hunting, is one of our like it's our favorite i i truly enjoy archery hunting just sometimes with the demand of the schedule and stuff we don't get to mix in as many archery hunts as we'd like to especially mm -hmm. when you're doing you know western style spot and stock it can be challenging at times so it's like a lot of the time we set out with our bows and everybody laughs because you set out with your bows and you're like this is going to be an archery hunt and yeah. then you get to the last two days two days of the hunt and you're like it's a rifle hunt yeah we got to get something on the dirt here right because again you're you got you know, you, the cameraman, and quite often, you know, another hunter or something like that. So it makes it challenging. But uh, yeah, no, archery hunting is definitely where the true passion lies. For sure. Yeah. And that's good. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. And, it, you know, so I look at the opportunities that you guys have too, and it's like, you know, stone sheep. I mean, I, I would not, um, I don't know that I would even have a bow with me on a trip like that. You know what I mean? Just because the opportunity that's there and the, and the, how critical it is that, uh, you make that happen. So totally get that, totally understand that. So, uh, no shaming on my end in, in that regard, <laughs> but, uh, uh, so speaking of, well, a couple of things that, that what you just said kind of, uh, kind of branched off into two other things that I want to kind of talk about. But, uh, so speaking of you being a giant, uh, I, I know you said you haven't heard the, the episode with Steve yet, but I had talked about when I had first met him. And, uh, I don't know if you remember when you and I first met at the ATA show, uh, but when I was, I can't remember, I was texting back and forth with ears, kind of trying to figure out where he was so I could meet up with him. And he had said that he was at, uh, such and such place. And he was there with, uh, with Steve Eklund. And I was like, oh, great. I, I haven't met him yet. So, um, I'll make my way over there. And I'm, I'm guessing it was probably the Hyatt uh, in Indianapolis or something like that. I, I can't remember exactly which one, you know, one of the, one of the more popular locations where everybody goes to have beverages after the show. And, uh, so I get down there and he ears is talking to you. And so then he introduced me to you, but it was really loud in there. So I couldn't, I couldn't really hear, we couldn't, we couldn't really hear a whole lot, but I shook your hand and, you know, I, of course I looked way, way up at you. And so at first I thought you were Steve. And so for like the whole rest of the night, I thought you were Steve. And then I thought Steve was just like your mini sidekick guy. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure Steve is going to love to hear that. Yeah. Oh, he heard it. We he talked was the mini about sidekick. it. Oh, oh, that's perfect. <laughs> we talked about it on the podcast and he was actually not that, um, uh, he wasn't that, uh, bent out of shape about it because he was nervous thinking I was going to say that he was like dancing on a pole or something like that when I first met him. So 
<laughs> that would not be out of the question with Steve either. I think that whole show we we walked around and Steve told everybody I was his bodyguard. <laughs> well, that, oh. that was his line at the show, and a lot of people believed it. So then the other thing that that kind of branched off into is talking about wild TV, and uh, so the mm-hmm. re- the relationship that we have had with you has always been just awesome. You guys are great to work with. You know, I don't have to really do much. You guys are very self-sufficient and, and you just you get the job done. You're really good about uh, supporting us and, and tagging us and things that you do. And so I love that. That's amazing. And then not only that, but now because we did the episode with Steve Eklund, um, that kind of gained some attention from Wild TV. I had gotten an email from, uh, from a gal from Wild TV and had uh, asked about an opportunity. So I inquired and then we had a discussion uh, with Scott. And so we are going to, we just signed a contract uh, to put the the range podcast on wild TV uh, in Canada. So we're pretty excited about that. It's going to be our video version of the podcast. So it'll be the same thing that we have on our YouTube channel, but now it'll be available for subscribers of wild TV. So we're really excited about um, getting that rolling. Uh, I just received an email from Scott and it's kind of a long laundry list of things that we got to get taken care of that I haven't been able to get to yet. But as soon as all the red tape is done, um, we'll have uh, all of our episodes starting with uh, zero um, all the way up to current. And then we'll be posting all future episodes from then on out. So that's pretty exciting. And and again, to go back to the, to the partnership that we have and the things that it leads to is amazing. and, And I appreciate that. No, absolutely. And like I mentioned earlier, we appreciate you guys. It makes it easy on our end. Um, having partners that are just so easy to get in touch with and you guys are real you're very like we for the talking about the show specifically like we like obviously we really care about the quality of the product we work with but we also care about the individuals behind the product in that um we focus more on say partnerships versus sponsorships we want companies that we enjoy working with so if i have product questions or if i have anything or feedback or you know something's going weird i can call you i know i can reach out to you guys you guys are very accessible you're very down to earth you're very approachable and i think that makes a big difference with regards to the customer experience um and the partner experience on our our, on our end which makes it easy for us to authentically and and, you know truly speak about you guys and say we truly enjoy work with you guys because um sometimes when you get to the larger companies or uh, I shouldn't say larger companies because you guys are a huge company, but sometimes when you get to the more corporate companies, there's kind of that disconnect, um, mm-hmm. which just makes it more of a cold transaction. And, and I mean, anytime I have questions about products or features or anything like that, I can reach out to you guys and you're very knowledgeable and you just, um, you know, you guys certainly know a lot more about it all than I do. So I appreciate you guys, <laughs> you guys being there and answering my questions because the Lord knows I have a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah. Anytime, you know, and, and, and thank you for saying that. Yeah. I know, I know we don't get a lot of opportunities to tell each other how we, how much we appreciate each other. So this is great. I'm, I'm happy that we have this platform to do so. Little, little bromance moment right now. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, Going speaking of your guys's content and everything that you do, that's the that's one of the other things that I love about you guys. And I told Steve this too is just how like fun you guys are with the posts and how you guys kind of dog on each other, you know, a little bit behind the scenes and things. And so I just recently, and maybe you want to talk a little bit about this recent contest that you have uh, going on um, right now. I just seen the post a couple of days, or is that? Let's see, is that contest still going on with the Wolverine Guns and Tackle? Oh, yeah, Wolverine Guns and Tackle. So they're a great retail partner. We've had um, with the show for quite a while. They've been 
uh, partnered up with the Edge for quite some time. Unfortunately, some stuff happened with them uh, with regards to their uh, agreement with their landlords and some other things. So they're closing their doors, um, which is very sad to see because right. they've been phenomenal. Like they're a big part of their community where mm-hmm. they are. And, and we've really enjoyed working with them and, and Jamie over there for a long time. But um, as they're closing their doors, they wanted to do a fun little giveaway. So anybody that, um, so right now they're auctioning off all of their inventory. And I mean, they've got, you name it, the full spectrum of, of product and inventory over at their location and like minimum of, I think, 40% off on all their stuff. But uh, if if you have proof of purchase for any auction item on their website, you can enter to win this, uh, what we call the next level hunter uh, bundle, which is, I think it's a, a little uh, pink BB gun, <laughs> a pink unicorn kind of uh, like the broomstick with the unicorn head on it. <laughs> And a pink, pink Yeti next next level mug for Steve. So it's uh, we had to. Steve really wanted that package, so I had to fight Steve really hard to keep this as a prize. Uh, he's pretty upset about it. We might have to make Steve his own at the end of it. But uh, but yeah, anybody who goes onto that website and supports them, um, and helps them, you know, kind of leave the scene in a good way, uh, they'll be entered to win that contest right there. It's so funny. I was watching the video on that and it, it's just, it's perfect. Your, your, the, the setup is perfect. You know, it's all, it's very um, professional <laughs> and very serious. And then when you come back and I saw that I almost spit my coffee out. And uh, again, just going back to how much fun you guys are. And I love that you guys do that. And uh, so I'll, I'll probably for the, um, for the YouTube watchers, I'll, I'll post a, I'll post up that video so they can see that because it's it's hilarious. And then also, um, be sure to head over to uh, at Joe underscore Appel. Check out his page, give him a follow, and then you can see some of that content down there as well. Appreciate it. On a more serious note, uh, I saw that you had um, one of your more well, maybe yeah, this was about a month ago. You had made a post about uh, predator management, and. It's one of the things that's, it's a real hot button issue here in the state of Minnesota too. It's protected here in the state wolves are specifically. And so we have a a huge population of wolves here. Uh, An incredible, it's just, it's silly how big the population is here and they're still protected. We've had a couple of seasons in the lot within the last, well, I'm just going to say decade just to make sure that I um, get the time frame right. But uh, you know, and it's been just a handful of animals. You know, I think the first season was it maxed out or the quota was 400. And they estimate that we have se- over several thousand. So it, you know, barely put a dent in the population. And then, you know, since then, I'm sure that population has recovered, you know, tenfold. So I'm j- just curious about how that works kind of in your area up in Canada. You know, talk a little bit about the population and what it, what it does to the, to the ungulates in your area and how, how it affects hunting as a whole. Yeah. Um, I mean, up here in British Columbia, we've kind of had a lot of back and forth, um, with regards to the, the wolf population. Um, it's something we've been consistently fighting against for as long as I've been around. I think as long as people have been hunting over here, especially because we have such a large, uh, logging industry, it creates these logging cuts that has this great new growth where all the ungulates go to to feed and then it creates this kind of killing field for the wolves. Um, but the biggest controversy lately has been the battle back and forth between these, I guess, photographers who go out and take these beautiful pictures of the wolves and position them as 
these, you know, friendly dogs and they, they give them names and they give them these personalities and then they create these petitions to stop, try and stop the hunting of wolves or try and list wolves as, um, you know, protected or whatever it may be over here. But the challenge with that is they are not your cuddly little dog. They are not that. And they have such a huge devastating impact on the ungulates, like you mentioned, especially right now with the caribou. We're having a lot of issues with the caribou here in, in BC and the sheep as well, but the caribou, um, the numbers are dropping year after year and it's, you can't deny it. Mm -hmm. um, and the big push right now is not necessarily wiping wolves out of the province. It's we want to reduce the wolf population in these key areas where the caribou numbers are declining mm -hmm. and hopefully give the caribou use that as well as some, you know, uh, landscape protection and things like that to start seeing those caribou numbers come back up to protect the caribous or the caribou. And the main reason for that is, um, historically, if you look at the amount of effort it takes to reestablish a caribou population in an area, like it is almost impossible. I think some of the areas they were looking at the funds that go into it and for the successful penning, um, cause you have to take the pregnant, uh, cows, pen them, then get the lambs or user, I guess it'd be lambs mm -hmm. or cows, I should say, and get them back out there. Anyways, I think it's upwards of like $160,000 per caribou that's successfully reestablished in that area. And it's still a very volatile, like sensitive population. Now, the biggest argument I have is that historically, if you take wolves out of an area, you can take a small batch of wolves a few years later, reintroduce them and they will thrive in no time. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't take, it doesn't take $160,000 per wolf to bring them back into an area. Mm -hmm. So what we're trying to do here and what we're trying to argue for is remove the wolves from these areas reestablish the caribou populations. And then down the road, you can re reintroduce the wolves if you need to, mm -hmm. um, because historically the one side can rebound, the other side can't rebound. Mm -hmm. And I think what people need to understand is um, these, these demands or these cries for more wolves calling out of these areas isn't an anti-wolf cry, it's a pro-caribou cry. Mm -hmm. and, like we want balance, we want animals of all sorts on the landscape, but we really want to see those caribou stick around. And these other people that, you know, see these beautiful pictures of wolves and go, Oh, you can't kill a wolf. They don't understand that when they're contributing to these causes and pushing for all of this stuff, they're really contributing to anti caribou and anti deer and anti moose mm. movements as well. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so like that's a, that's a fight that's going on up here in BC right now. But uh, fortunately we still do have a pretty, uh, open for, so for hunters to be able to harvest. So where I was, I took three wolves out of an area this year. Uh, three wolves is the bag limit mm -hmm. in that area. So that was the most I was allowed to take. Um, but in my immediate area down here in the lower mainland, it's no bag limit. So if I see wolves and it's year, it's almost year round. So, um, if I see wolves, I can, I can pull them out, but wolves are tricky. They're mm -hmm. fast. Mm -hmm. They don't, they don't spend much time in the open. Mm -hmm. So when, when we have an opportunity, I certainly, I certainly, uh, put my foot down and try and try and even the odds a little bit when I can. And it's not that I hate wolves. It's just, I hate what they're doing to the rest of the the wildlife up here. Right. Right. And I mean, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a believer that, you know, wolves are an important part of the ecosystem, but to your point, you know, if they get overpopulated, they don't have a lot of natural predators that can create some issues, you know, and with having the ability to reintroduce them and do those types of things makes sense. You know, we have a lot, it's, this is an archery podcast, but we also have a lot of listeners who are, you know, maybe just target shooters. They're not so much hunters. And I think there's a big misconception out there as to, uh, 
the, the whole idea of predator control. And I think a lot of that is, you know, just created or, or conjured up by, as an example, some of these photographers or maybe anti hunters or something like that. And I don't really particularly have a desire to hunt a wolf. I would, if it, if it's for the greater good, like you said, uh, to be pro caribou or, uh, I don't know. To me, it seems like there's definitely uh, a lot of uh, depredation uh, on the deer population in the state of Minnesota, because when you get up into the northern areas where the wolves are more prevalent, the deer populations are a lot lower. I don't see in the state of Minnesota this, uh, but I do hear, I've heard a couple of times, like out in western, western states, how wolves will actually hunt for sport. And I don't know how much truth there is to that because I haven't witnessed it myself, but do you see that up in BC as well? Yeah. Yeah. They'll kill. Um, so when hunting's good, they'll kill and just eat prime cuts or just kind of eat the rear end or the guts out of certain animals. Cause that's the high calorie areas mm. or at times, basically the wolves don't know. Um, I guess it's my perception or, or what a lot of people out here understand is that the wolves don't understand what their next meal is going to be. Right. So if they can kill an animal, get it on the ground and go, okay, well, there's more, let's go hunt and kill those. We'll mm -hmm. come back to this one. Mm -hmm. Well, sometimes if they get, if they get on a trail and they can kill a lot out of a herd of elk or, or some caribou or something like that, they might not make it back to those first ones that they kill. So that's, they wake up and they think about killing animals and making sure they're full before they go to bed. Mm -hmm. That's what wolves think about. So it's just their instinctual pattern. So they go out there um, and yeah, if there's an opportunity for them to stock something and kill it, they're going to do it. Whether or not they get back to that meal, they're going to kill stuff to make sure that they have that reserve. If they move out of that basin or that valley, that's just what they're going to do. But I mean, when I was up north on my caribou hunt this year, I saw firsthand the impact the wolves can have on an area. It's supposed to be a large caribou migration through that area. And I saw a pack of wolves that were stationed across the in, entire draw in, or the valley, basically. Um, and I came across a lot of kill sites, um, but we didn't see any caribou. And then we pushed into some other areas, um, which eventually led to me taking my stone sheep because I wasn't up there on a stone sheep hunt, but mm -hmm. I came across stone sheep. And with a resident tag in your pocket, you make it happen. Mm -hmm. So I can't complain. But then I came right. back in. I removed three, three wolves from that pack push that pack of wolves out of the area. And I think it was three or four days later, the caribou started migrating through there again. Okay. Yeah. So um, it definitely has a large impact. And when you are able to kind of keep those species in check, um, it's, it's about balance. And for those listeners out there that, that may not be avid hunters or may not know that much about the predator management, a lot of people as well think, um, you know, if you're not a hunter or if you're not this, that, or the other, you're not having an impact on the wildlife and the predator prey um balance but things to understand especially here in bc we're in a mountain area where a lot of these the caribou the elk the mule deer they rely in the winter months on the ability to go to areas that are not easy to access for the wolves because they're deeper snow higher up in the mountains things like that um, well a lot of recreational activities out here create these highways for the wolves to get into those lake locations being cross-country skiing snowmobiling backcountry hiking, snowshoeing, um, even all of these off-road overlanding groups, they create these packed snow paths that now all of a sudden the wolves can go into these areas they didn't used to be able to get into, right? Mm. Um, so now all of a sudden that creates an unfair advantage for these wolves to go in and have a bigger impact on these populations. So it, it really is everybody 
everybody should be interested in this in some level with regards to predator management. It's a big issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes the other side that's kind of anti-predator management, they just post a pretty picture and do like some kind of tear jerking one liner. And then people just glaze over the subject and don't really look at the long-term impact of, of unstable predator populations. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's one of those things that uh, I think definitely needs a closer look. Um, and if we don't correctly manage it in the long term, we're going to start seeing different wildlife populations falling off of the landscape. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well said. And um, yeah, thank you for that info. You know, it's because it's good to get different perspectives. And, uh, you know, I, I can only hope that a season opens up here again at some point. And uh, I actually tried to get in on it, but I didn't draw. And I believe most of the wolves that were taken in that year were were trapped through trapping because as you said they're very elusive they're very quick uh, and it's trapping is probably the most effective method for doing so and uh, i know the former owner uh jared fondy had a he had a tag and he was actually able to fill his tag with uh i think he used a rifle actually he had a bow with him but i think he ended up using a rifle just to uh again just to make sure that you can fill that tag because i can't imagine how difficult it would be to take a wolf with a bow. That's if you can do that, especially like a spot and stalk hunt, that's, that's a feather in your cap for sure. That's a challenging <laughs> hunt. It's a challenging hunt with a rifle. Mm-hmm. I've had opportunities in the past. Um, this year I actually used a caribou decoy, a pop-up decoy to sneak oh. out on two of the wolves I took. Okay. I, I howled the other one in, um, onto a distant ridge, but then yeah, two of them, I actually used a pop-up caribou decoy to come across a big open area. And the wolves were kind of sitting there licking their lips, waiting for their meal. And uh, I turned the tables on them a bit. <laughs> but but again, I was at 300 yards. I wasn't right. at 30 yards. So if you can close that distance to archery range, that's wolves aren't wolves are not stupid. They're very right. very smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you got coming up now? I mean, you, you've had a pretty good season already. Do you have any any upcoming hunts that you're really excited about, or or what do you got going on? Yeah. Um, right now I still have quite a few tags left for the province. So I have, uh, here in British Columbia, we're allowed three deer. That's a combination of blacktail or yeah, Columbia blacktail, mule deer and whitetail. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm definitely going to be getting my bow out finally, uh, doing some, some me time stalking around the timber and more or less driving myself crazy, trying to get a Columbia blacktail with my bow. <laughs> Uh, cause it is thick, nasty bush and mm. yeah, you're killing yourself hiking around on these bluffs and trying to sneak in on, especially if you're trying to get a mature deer, mm-hmm. it can be a challenge. Um, but yeah, no, I'll be, I'll be going out. I'll be doing some blacktail hunting. And then I do have one, uh, one hunt left in Alberta as well for, for whitetail still this year. So, uh, tapering down. Oh, and I, uh, I actually have a cougar hunt coming up this Ooh. winter as well, which will be an archery hunt. So that'll be a fun one as well. Nice. Cool. Yeah, I want to talk about that going through thick, you know, brush and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you're a big dude, so I can't even imagine. But like, I, I've had, I'm certain you've had those moments mm-hmm. where you're, you, you kind of get yourself into a situation where it doesn't matter which way you go, you, you, you're going to have to bushwhack your way through. And, you know, as hunters, we're always trying to be mindful of, you know, not getting too sweated up and, you know, creating too much, you know, uh, odor and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But you get to a point where you're almost driven somewhat insane uh just by the the task that is at hand to get through the brush that you're in and you, and i sometimes i'll sit down and go 
why in the heck do I do this? What am I even doing to myself? You know? And then of course, in, in the end and in retrospect, you know, it's always, especially if, if the goal is met, right? Like you fill a tag, that's, that's such an amazing feeling that it may, you could do that 10 times and it would be worth it. Uh, but then also just going back and knowing that, you know, putting yourself through the struggles and putting yourself through that pain, you know, you always come out on the other side better in some way, shape or form. And I think if you, if you didn't put yourself through those struggles, uh, you have a hard time being a well-rounded individual, I think. I, I think it makes us better hunters. Um, I definitely, trust me, if you've ever hunted coastal British Columbia here, talking about thick brush and, and <laughs> questioning why, why you're out there doing it, that's about 90% of my hunting when I'm out here, <laughs> is just in thick brush going, what the heck am I doing with my life? Mm -hmm. um, but it, it's true type two fun, where it, it's a challenge when you're in it, it does make you better. I think, especially if you are tree hunting these zones, um, it just forces you to, it, it brings all of your weaknesses to light and it forces you to kind of address some of those weaknesses. Um, a lot of the areas we hunt out here, you just really have to play the wind. You can't necessarily avoid sweating when you're right. going straight up and down and yep. over all this nasty stuff. So it, it becomes a big thing of just playing the wind for us out here. Mm -hmm. uh, but like I spent 10 days um, uh, during archery elk season this year running around the Kootenays, which is kind of... Uh, I guess it'd be southeastern British Columbia. Okay. And I was running around the mountains and um it was weird. The rut didn't kick off the same time it normally does for us out here. Mm. So for the first ten days of September, I was running around and you let out a cow chirp and the bulls would run away. Like <laughs> it was weird. So we were mm. like we were still hunting them, like almost like you'd have to still hunt the black tail or a white tail. Mm. And uh trying to work in on some of these bulls in thick timber on in like these like because it's not like the big like rolling open timber that like we have really thick nasty country up here so mm -hmm. i actually i had one bull a beautiful like i think he was a six by five it was tough because it was real thick brush i had him at 40 yards and uh we had got into position the cameraman and i and, and i was waiting for him to clear a branch and like he was there he was feeding he had no idea we were there and I'm getting ready to draw back. And I mean, it's picture perfect. Just this really foggy, steamy morning. It mm -hmm. was, I think, this the last or second last day of the hunt. Mm -hmm. And he's coming out and he's just about to come out from behind this branch. And it's going to be like, okay, this, this is fairy tale ending. And then all of a sudden, in these like alders right below us, there was a cow calf at about eight yards. And they mm -hmm. busted us. And then they ran off. And then he turned and looked at us and spun off and, and got out of there. Um but yeah, no, that was a big part of my, my goal this year was, uh, you know, archery elk in the Kootenays and it did not pay out, but, um, I took everything I learned on that hunt when I was out there for archery, I went back in there with my rifle later in the season. I had a weekend to get out there mm. and I was able to take a nice elk. Um, but it was, it was everything I learned about the area, about the elk in the area, about everything when I was in there doing the archery elk hunt that made it so I could go back in with my rifle, get quick success. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, no, that's great, man. And I'm, I'm super envious of the time and that you get to spend and where you get to spend it. You know, uh, I've only had the opportunity to hunt elk once. Well, I've had opportunities, but haven't, ha haven't been able to you know bring it to fruition, but I, I hunted once in Idaho and yeah, it was a, it was a tough hunt simply because they just weren't, they weren't talking. 
And, you know, mm -hmm. I did have a few opportunities that didn't pan out. You know, one of those things where it's like, you're like, oh, man, if I would have done this or if I would have done that differently, I would have, you know, it would have worked out. But those are the lessons that you learned. And I'm super excited to get back out. But back then, this was 2019. So I ended up just getting a over-the-counter elk tag. And I had a buddy who had previously been out there. So he knew the ground pretty well. So we kind of had an idea of what we were doing, what we were getting into. And, uh, uh, but now it's it's like a zoo trying to trying to get things figured out over there in idaho so i'm gonna stay far away from that but yeah looking forward to my next elk hunt and and good job on you know making it happen and you know just again i can't i can't imagine you know i've got a you know five ten frame that i can squeeze through the brush and, and yeah i don't know how you would get i don't know how you'd get through all that man that's wild yeah, everybody always sees me and they're like, oh, that must be so nice being so big running around the hills because <laughs> their first thought is when, when you pack an animal out, then you've got this giant frame you can pack animals out. I'm like, yeah, but I'm like a freaking diesel trying to run around these hills. And I'm like, diesels burn a lot of gas, make a lot of noise, <laughs> and we're huge. Like, it, yeah. it does not, it's not an advantage until after the kill. And when the animal's on the ground, then absolutely, I would say my size is an advantage, but mm -hmm. it certainly works against me at everything else but again it's just one of those things it, it makes it more challenging it makes it more fun and then you know the the true definition of type 2 fun is when it does pay off in the end and you can still look back at it all fondly mm -hmm. and, and laugh about it mm -hmm. but uh, you're normally laughing about it after it's all over not while it's all happening yeah yeah exactly and so for anybody that gets over to your page there's he's got a video uh where you're i think you're, you're packing your wife's uh mule deer out and you make that thing look tiny man <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, not a yeah it's, it's not a small deer uh it, it's not a huge rack on it don't get me wrong for a, for a mule deer but we had a day and a half to get my wife the deer on the ground mm -hmm. and uh we wanted to get it back to the truck as in one piece cape mm -hmm. on and everything and we were a long way from the truck so my son could see it mm -hmm. uh whole um I would not recommend doing that though because it sucked. Yeah, <laughs> it sucked, man. Because when when you're facing the camera, it you make it look small, but then as you walk away and you see the back of it, you're like, oh man, that is that's actually a that's a big deer, and the fact that you are hoofing that thing out of there like that is is incredible. So, I guess it has its pluses, but you know. Yeah, it's it's the advantage after the animal's down, but leading up to that moment, it's certainly a <laughs> disadvantage at times. But yeah. hey. You win some, you lose some, you take your lumps as they come. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And then trying to find a bow that's got your draw length, right? Like we've had to, we've had to fudge some lengths on strings and cables and stuff to try to make a bow work for you. Yeah. And that is another thing that's so great about working with you guys. I call you up and I'm like, Hey man, I, I need an extra, you know, quarter inch, half inch out of this sucker. What are we going to do? Mm -hmm. And we go to the drawing board and, uh, yeah, you guys, when, when you guys say you do custom strings, you guys will do full, full custom. You'll get creative. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can do whatever we can, you know, and thanks to, to Ryan Silver over there at G5 that was able to kind of give us some insight onto, um, you know, specifically how that would work with, with the prime bows and everything like that. So uh, that was a huge help. He was able to get us, uh, get us some information on that. And I was able to educate you on it a little bit too. So that was cool. Yeah, no, that was a lot of fun. And it, it, those, those little things, I mean, again, uh, go a long way, especially for us guys that are the outliers, I guess, on the I'm a long draw lefty. Nobody likes working with a long draw lefty. So you, you guys got to be pretty patient to work with me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much for taking time out of your day. I know you're busy. 
if if our listeners want to look you up, you know, where can they find you on social media? And then also, uh, where, where can they find uh, The Edge TV as well? Yeah, uh, for me, it's just uh, my first and last name. So Joe underscore Appel. Um, that's on Instagram and Facebook. I believe they just look up the same. But yeah, again, thanks, man. Really appreciate you being on. Hey, I, I appreciate you having me on. Always good catching up with you, man. And uh, I hope you get a few more days in the field before season's up. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, it's, it's the best time of year. And I know mm-hmm. it's a busy time for you guys. And you guys certainly had a lot more on your plate this year than you typically do. But, uh, you know, it's the best time of the year. You got to take advantage of what you can. Yeah, for sure. I'll definitely be getting out. And good luck on the rest of your season, man. I appreciate it. I'll keep you up to date on how things go with my blacktail. Fingers crossed. Sweet. Fingers yeah. crossed. I'll have some good stories for you. Definitely keep me in the loop on that. You betcha. Well, folks, that brings us to the end of this episode. You can find us at The Range Podcast on Instagram and on Facebook. You can also find me on Instagram at RickyWayne80. Uh, and you can find me on Facebook at Ricky W. Bruley. And then uh, also be sure to head over to the Vapor Trail and Stokerize social channels. Give us a follow there. And please be sure to head over to Vapor Trail YouTube channel. If you like the video, hit the thumbs up button and make sure to subscribe so you can be up to date on all things archery. If you're listening, do me a favor, give us a rating and make certain you give us five stars. And with that, we are going to pack up our bows and we are going to hit the range. Have a great day, everybody. Vapor Trail is now offering an exclusive discount to the Range Podcast listeners. Enter promo code TRP15, that's T-R-P-15, at checkout for 15% off VTX bowstrings and Vapor Trail and Stokerize branded t-shirts, hats, and other gear.